While I hook this up this morning, I want to say something about, I don't know how many of you heard the church bell ringing today. We try to ring it sometimes, it's, we forget, and I know Brother John rang it for us many, many times, and he's now in Arizona. But uh, I got to thinking about the church bell ringing, and people around here hearing it ring. So I told Barney this morning, I said, let's do it a little different, and let's ring it more often. And I said, ring it once, twice, pause, once, twice, pause, and then ring, 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 ring. And then I told him what that stood for. H-E-He-I-S is risen, R-I-S-E-N. So if anybody heard the church bell and wondered what was going on, you tell them that. He is risen. Now I got to thinking about the 150th anniversary, which is two weeks from today. How are we going to ring the church bell? 150 times might be a little overkill. (laughs) So I was telling Barney, I said, let's do it one time for each 10 years. So on the 1st, May the 1st, we're going to ring it 15 times. Now a ring is ding, ding, you know. And then another ring is ding, ding. So that bell's been here since 1890, I believe it is. And so it's been here a long time. And uh, thank the Lord for the church bell. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject of resurrection guarantees. 1 Corinthians 15 beginning verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye received, at wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this this present, but some are fallen asleep. And and after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due due time. For I am the least of all the apostles, of the apostles, that, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which has bestowed, was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the grave, from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ risen in vain, not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and our faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. And if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable." But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. We thank you so much that we serve a risen Savior. And I thank you, Lord, for that day that you spoke to my heart and drew me to yourself, and I trusted you as my Savior. Lord, I'm sure that's true of many here today, but it might be that someone has not yet come to that place of faith. They have not truly put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus many years ago when he died for their sins, was buried, and then rose again. I pray for that person today, Lord, that you might help them to come to a realization of their condition before you, and they would come to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for the privilege to be in your house. Give enablement to bring the message. Accomplish your will in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus died and was taken from the cross and put in a tomb, it was a sad day for everybody who followed him. Their hopes were dashed and their dreams were destroyed, for the one they thought would lead them to victory was now defeated. It seemed that the whole adventure was over and their sacrifice in following Jesus had been futile. They looked to him for instruction and guidance, but now he is dead. They have no leader. They have no teacher. They have no savior. They did not yet understand what had taken place on, 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 on Calvary's cross, and they did not understand what would happen on Sunday, the first day of the week. And so they were defeated and they were discouraged. Peter felt terrible because his last act toward Jesus had been to curse and deny that he even knew him. All of his disciples had forsaken him and fled in fear. Mary, the mother of Jesus, felt like she had a sword thrust through her soul. Mary Magdalene was bewildered because she could not understand why the one who had delivered her from seven demons could not deliver himself. Martha, the sister of Lazarus, was confused because she had seen Jesus raise her brother Lazarus from the grave and heard him say, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And now Jesus was dead. How could this be? Yes, Jesus had made the blind to see, and, they, and now he could not see. He had made the lame to walk, and now he could not walk. He had made the deaf to hear, and now he could not hear. He had raised the people from the dead, and now he has been conquered by death. Jesus has cast out demons, and now Satan and his domain have seemingly won the battle against Jesus. The Jewish nation had hoped that Jesus was the one who would deliver them from Rome, and now it seems like Rome has conquered Jesus. Yes, it was a sad day. Jesus was dead. His body was in the tomb. A large stone had been sealed in front of the entrance to the tomb, and the Roman government had sealed the tomb and set a watch for the soldiers by soldiers to make sure that nobody stole his body. But then came Sunday morning, and thank the Lord it did. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome came to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. And when they arrived, they found the stone had been rolled away. And as they looked into the sepulcher, they saw an angel who said, Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Come see the place where he lay. Jesus was alive. Thank the Lord, he's alive. And what a change his resurrection brought to his followers and all the world. Hopelessness has been replaced with hope. Sadness has been replaced with happiness. Despair was replaced with delight, and fear was replaced with courage. The defeated band of disciples had became the, become the, the powerful band of witnesses who actually turned the world upside down with their witness. 
The reason for the change was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No other reason. It was his resurrection. Some have rightfully said that the resurrection is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Without the resurrection, all the teaching of Christianity would fall apart. There would be no meaning. There would be no sense if Jesus was not alive, but he is. So this morning, I want us to talk to you about some things that uh, are guaranteed by the resurrection. Since it's the cornerstone of the Christian faith, what does the resurrection guarantee us? Does it really make any difference? This morning after the breakfast, we had several kids, and I met with the kids downstairs, and I asked them about, oh, what difference is it? I mean, why does it matter that Jesus was alive and was able to sh- is alive, and I was able to share with them why that is? So let's look this morning at the resurrection and what it guarantees. First of all, the, gar- the resurrection guarantees that the Savior wins. The Savior wins. That's Jesus. If you're on his side, you're on the winning side. If you're not on his side, you're on the losing side. Like it or not, take it or leave it, it's still true. If you're not with Jesus, you're going to lose, and you're going to lose for eternity. Jesus won, and the resurrection guarantees that Jesus wins. He wins over his enemies. He had many enemies in those days. It's interesting that he, being such a wonderful person, the Son of God, came to this earth to accomplish salvation for the whole world, And you might call this religion, but the religious leaders were against Jesus. Those were his enemies. Matthew 26 and 27 makes that clear. Let me show you some of those things. In verse 66 of Matthew 26, the high priest said, He is guilty of death. The scribes and elders spit in his face and buffeted him. In Matthew 27, verse 1, it says, All the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. So all the Jewish religious people, they were against Jesus. They were his enemies. Verse 12 says, Before Pilate, he was accused of the chief priests and elders. Verse 20, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. They wanted a thief. They wanted a murderer. They wanted somebody guilty of sedition. Instead of Jesus, they turned against Jesus. They were his enemies. They cried in verse 23, let him be crucified. Verse 41, it says, likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders, all those religious leaders. They said, he saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. They turned against Jesus. His enemies were the religious leaders. It also guarantees that he wins not over the, only over the religious leaders, but over the Roman government. I mean, the Roman government... Uh, Controlled much of the known world at that time. They were very powerful, but the resurrection proved that Jesus wins over the Roman government. In Matthew chapter 27, it says, Pilate released Barabbas, Pilate, that's the Roman government, and he scourged Jesus and delivered him to the soldiers, that's the Roman government, to be crucified. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. They put a crown of thorns on his head and a reed in his hand and bowed the knees before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. That's the Roman government against Jesus. They spit upon him. They smote him on the head with a reed and they crucified him and they sat down and watched him suffer there on the cross. And after he was buried, they, they put him in a tomb, sealed the tomb and put soldiers there to watch it. They were against Jesus. Those were his enemies. But he was also uh, Satan and his demons demons were against Jesus, and those were his enemies. You see, Satan is no friend of the Lord. Satan is an enemy of God. 
And if you want to follow Satan, you need to remember, you are following the enemy of God. You're following the enemy of the, of, of the creator of the universe. You are following the devil. If you follow the devil, you're following the wrong one. You'll end up in the wrong place. So Satan and his demons... The Bible says in, in Matthew and John chapter 12 that Jesus predicted that his death and his resurrection would be to the defeat of Satan. That when he died on the cross and rose from the grave, it would actually defeat Satan. And the Bible bears that out in Colossians chapter, one, verse, chapter 2, verse 15. It says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And Hebrews 2.14 says, He became flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Is the resurrection important? Yes, it is. Because the resurrection, it guarantees that Jesus wins. The Savior wins. He wins over his enemies. He wins over the, of the Roman government. He wins over Satan and his demons. And he wins over our sins. You see, our sins put Jesus on the cross. This question sometimes is asked, who killed Jesus? Sometimes Jewish people get upset when you say they killed Jesus. It's true, they did kill Jesus, but they're not alone. So did you. So did I. My sins put Jesus on the cross. Why is Jesus hanging there bearing the sin of the world? It's because of me and you and everyone else. We are his enemies in a sense in that we are sinners and our sins put Jesus on the cross of Calvary. He died for our sins. But when he rose from the grave, he won over all those sins. Romans chapter 6 says the wages of sin is death. He died. He paid the wages. And then he came forth victorious over death. It, it, he won over death. He won over sin. Hebrews chapter 9. So Christ was once offered to bear the sin of many. 1 Peter 3.18. Christ also has once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust. He the just one. The unjust. That's us. We all deserve eternal punishment. That he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the spirit. And Romans 4 verse 3 says, Who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because of you. Why did he rise from the grave? So he could give you release from your sins, forgiveness of your sins. He conquered your sins. He paid for your sins. And the resurrection proves he wins over sin. He also wins over God's wrath. Let's not be mistaken, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, uh, the wrath of God was coming down on him. Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All of your sins, that's a lot. All of my sins, that's a plenty. And all of our sins combined, and everyone who's ever lived and ever will live, in some judicial way, God the Father placed all those sins on Jesus on the cross of Calvary, and he paid for that. And the price was God's wrath had to come down on Jesus. And the resurrection proved that he won over the wrath of the Father. He wins over God's wrath. The Bible says in Matthew 27, verse 46, Jesus cried out in the middle of that time on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was experiencing what we deserve. John 19, verse 30, he said, After, he, after those three hours on the cross, he cried, It's finished. That means I've taken all the wrath of God for all the sin of the world. I've paid it full. It's paid in full. It is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit and he died. Back in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 11, it says, He, that is God, shall see the travail of his soul, that's Jesus, and shall be satisfied. God was satisfied with what Jesus did for us. He paid 
it all. And so he won over the wrath of God himself for our sins placed on Jesus. So the resurrection proves that the Savior wins. Another thing is the resurrection guarantees that Satan loses. The resurrection guarantees that Satan loses. You see, Satan lost when Jesus rose from the grave. I imagine when he died on the cross, Satan in the background was cheering. He was cheering the Roman soldiers on. In case there might be any little bit of life left in Jesus, when that Roman soldier thrust that spear into his side and out came blood and water, I'm sure that the devil was rejoicing and glad. He is dead. And they put him in the tomb. They sealed the tomb. And they had those soldiers there to make sure nobody would spread any false rumors about him coming out of the grave. And he was so glad. And he was waiting. And he just knew he had conquered Jesus. But when Jesus came out of that grave... The devil quaked. You remember the soldiers, those big, strong Roman soldiers standing there at the, at the tomb? And the Bible says the angel came and rolled away the stone, not to let Jesus out, but to let people in to see he wasn't there. How did Jesus come out? He just came through the stone, just like he did when he appeared to people, in the, the disciples in the room, the door being shut, and twice it says he appeared in their presence. He just walked through the wall. No problem with the glorified body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus came out of the grave, and it guarantees that Satan loses. And, and Satan, when he found out Jesus was alive, he must have thought, oh my, I thought I got him for good. But he, he guaranteed G, the devil's defeat when he came alive from the grave. He will, he will lose when Satan returns to take his church home to heaven as well. The day is coming. It might be while I'm preaching. Some of you are probably hoping it is. But uh, the Jesus is going to come. And when he comes, all of us who know Jesus will be left, will be gone. And probably your clothes will be laying in the seat there and you'll be taken off and, into heaven and to be with the Lord because how, no matter how good your Easter clothes are, they're not good enough to go to heaven. And so the Lord will take you to heaven and the Lord will rapture us. You see the way the devil loses because all through our life he is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He likes to get people disgruntled with the church. I talked to a lady on the phone the other day, and uh, uh, let's, I forget what I was calling her about, some business thing. Anyway, and uh, she, said, she said, oh, you're, you've been a pastor there a long time? I said, she said, I just love that. I said, where do you go to church, ma'am? And she said, well, I don't. <laughs> and she said, I love Jesus, oh, I love him with all my heart, but she said, I don't go to church. And I said, well, you should. The Bible tells you you're supposed to, Hebrews 10, 25. And she didn't want to talk about it anymore, but we had a pleasant conversation the rest of the way, but never came up. But she claimed to be a believer, and maybe she really was, but she wasn't obeying the Lord. And you see, the Bible tells us that Jesus uh, loves us, and he works with the church, but the devil likes to get in and get in your life and get you out of, out of fellowship with the Lord and out of fellowship with God's people and not walking right as you should as a Christian. The devil's always messing with us. But when Jesus takes us home, we're gone. He can't fool with us anymore. <laughs> he can't have a thing to do with us because we're not there. We're present with the Lord, and the devil's going to lose big time. And also, the devil loses when the Lord comes back. You remember when Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation period to, take, to come back and set up his kingdom, the devil's going to lose because the Bible says he's going to take him and cast him down into the bottomless pit, and he'll be bound there for a thousand years, and the devil's losing for a thousand years. 
At the end of that, th- that thousand-year reign of Christ, when, when the Lord comes back, he comes back at the end of the tribulation, he reigns for a thousand years, and uh, the devil's bound. But at the end of the thousand years, the Lord lets him loose for a little season. He goes out and deceives all these people, and the Lord casts him into the lake of fire after that, and he's going to lose finally there. But what guaranteed that sequence of events that's going to cause the final conclusion of the loss of the devil, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he could have kept him dead, he would have won. But Jesus rose from the grave. Does, should the resurrection mean something to us? It surely should. Because it guarantees that the Savior wins. And it guarantees that Satan loses. But then it guarantees something else. And that is the resurrection, resurrection guarantees that salvation is available. You see, because Jesus is alive, salvation is available. It's available to everyone who will hear. The Bible says that Jesus rose from the grave after he had paid for all of our sins. So it's all paid for, and he's, he's alive from the dead. That's proof that it's paid, and it's all complete. And salvation is, salvation is available to everyone who will trust the Lord as their Savior. And then the Bible says he calls people to go out and tell that to other people. We are those people. We are his witnesses. And we're supposed to be his witnesses all around here and all around Ohio and outside of it and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And through our missionary outreach, we help do that. We send people all around the world to spread the gospel. Why? Because everybody in the world needs to know about Jesus because there is only one God and there's only one Savior for all the world and the world needs to know. And Jesus made sure that people were telling the word of God, telling the truth, the good news of the gospel to everybody. So the resurrection guaranteed that salvation is available to everybody. And the, and the Lord makes the plea himself, come unto me. And he says, Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Believe in thine heart, not just a mental assent, but a true heart belief with all of your being. You trust him, you believe him, you believe in your heart that Christ rose from the grave. And when you call out to him to save you, he will save you. You see, the resurrection guarantees you that salvation is available. It's available to you. It was available to me, and I trust him as my Savior, and I rejoice in it ever since. But if you've never trusted the Lord, salvation is available to you because Jesus is alive. And then finally, the resurrection guarantees something else, and that is it guarantees that the saints will win. It guarantees that the Savior wins. It guarantees that Satan loses. It guarantees that salvation is available to everyone If they'll just trust Jesus, they can be saved. And it guarantees finally that the saints win. We win. Because Jesus is alive, we win. Think back over your life. Some of you might be young. Some of you might be middle-aged. Some of you might be past that. Some of you might be old-aged. Some of you might be past that. I don't know. (laughs) You know, we get older and older every day. But think back on your life. And I know you can't remember them all because, and that's good to remember because that's not the way you get saved. It's not to repent of your sins. It's not to ask Jesus to forgive you of all your sins because I'll guarantee you something. You can't remember them all. You don't know them all. It's not asking Jesus to forgive you of sins. It's trusting what Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary for your sins. He paid the price for you. 
and your mind goes back to 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross of Calvary, and you put your trust in that, not your ability to remember all your sins and confess them to him. But the Lord says that salvation is available. And if you'll trust the Lord as your Savior, salvation is available to you. And you can be forgiven of all your sins. You've thought of all those sins you can remember. And think about it, the worst that you can think about. And Jesus forgives you of all of that. Because Jesus is alive, we win. My sins are all forgiven. You can't bring up anything that I've done in the past that was bad and bring it up against me without me being able to say, I know that's true, but it's paid for. It's all paid for. And Jesus has forgiven me completely of my sins. We win because our sins are forgiven. The saint wins because, because, uh, he, because, because Jesus lives. We can live for him. We win because we can live for him. Think about it like this. Romans chapter 3 verse 37 says, We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 says, Now thanks be unto God which always causes us to triumph. Always causes us to triumph. 1 John chapter 4 verse 4, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And then this verse, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Listen to this. The exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in us when he raised Christ from the dead and set him at his own, own right hand in the heavenly places. The mighty power that took to raise Jesus from the grave is ours. That means we as Christians can live victorious lives now maybe up to this point in your life even though you're a christian you're dominated by certain things maybe you're dominated by a certain temptation and the lord has said there's no temptation taken you but such as is common to man would god will with the temptation also provide a way of escape and so it's because of the resurrection power we do not have to sin the Bible says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we have the power to resist that. We have the power to overcome that. We have the power not to sin because we have the power over temptation by Jesus Christ. The power it took to raise Jesus from the grave is our powers. There is no excuse when we yield to temptation. We have the power that to keep our thought life right. And do you ever have problems with your thought life? Don't raise your hand because anybody who did not raise their hand would be telling a lie. All of us have problems with our thought life. But we can have forgiveness of that and we can have victory over that. And when an evil thought goes through our mind immediately without dwelling on it all, we can say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Thank you for forgiving me of that, Lord. Help me not to think those things. Lord, give me victory. And the Lord will do that. You don't have to, be, to, to succumb to those kind of thoughts. As someone has said, it's not wrong for a bird to fly over your head. You can't prevent that. And sometimes thoughts flow through your mind. And you can't prevent that, but you can deal with it immediately and say, no, forgive me, Lord, for thinking that. Nothing wrong with a bird flying over your head, but there's something wrong with a bird that builds a nest on your head. Now, that's something wrong. If you see a friend going, going around with a bird nest on top of his head, you think something's wrong with him. <laughs> well, that's the way it is with, with our thoughts. Confess them to the Lord. Forsake them. Don't dwell on it. 
And the Lord will give you victory because you have the resurrection power of God to overcome that. Then some people have the problem with their tongue. Brother Barney and I the other day had the privilege of hearing Dr. David Gibbs of Christian Law Association, a great, great man of faith, preach a message. And he can take such a simple truth and make it so profound and just you stand there all thinking of what he has to say. And he's telling about something that we all face, and that's the problem with the tongue. And he told about when he was a kid, he was raised around horses, and he said he found out that in order to control a horse, you had to put a bridle in their mouth. And those of you who know about horses know that's true. <laughs> and a horse lots of time doesn't like that bridle. He wants to get rid of it. Because if the bridle's not there, he's in control. But when the bridle's there, you're in control. And he said our tongues are like that. And the Bible says... Our tongue is something that nobody can tame. You can't tame your tongue, but God can. God can. So if you have a problem talking about your neighbor, if you have a problem with uh, just wanting to say something bad about some person, somebody comes up with some person they're talking about, and you chip in with another bad thing about them, that's a problem with your tongue. And God says you can control that. You don't have to be that kind of person. I've had some people tell me sometimes, uh, you know, that's just the way I am. It doesn't have to be the way you are. Because we have resurrection power. We can have victory over those things. And God gives us that victory because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It guarantees that the saints win. We win because we can have a victorious life living for Jesus. It also guarantees that the saints uh, know that the best is yet to come. You know, no matter how good your life gets, the best is yet to come. <laughs> you might say, well, I just, something happened in my life. Oh, it's something I've been looking forward to so long. And oh, it's such a wonderful day. And for the Christian, we can say, it's nothing compared to what's coming. <laughs> the best is yet to come. I've never walked on golden streets, have you? I've never walked through a gate made of pearl, one pearl, big pearl, gate, <laughs> I've never lived in a city with walls of jasper and streets of gold. I've never been able to see the Savior face to face and see the nail prints in his hands and the nail print in his feet and the nail print in place in his side where they put the spear. I've been, never been able to see that. I've never been able to see Jesus personally, but I love him even though I haven't seen him. But just think someday we're going to get to see him. And then someday we're going to have a brand new body, a glorified body, no gray hair, no missing teeth, no bad ears, no, none of that. A smell's not gone. Your taste isn't gone. <laughs> you know, you're, you're young forever and ever and ever. Perfect health, no pain forever. Perfect body forever and ever. The best is yet to come. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. All of it hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus wasn't alive, we wouldn't have any of that. The best is yet to come for the Christian. Also, we find in the Bible that the Lord tells us the best is yet to come because there's coming a day when the risen Christ has promised us that we will reign with him. Now, I don't know how much you understand about the millennial reign of Christ. In a few weeks, I'm going to be preaching a message on that. But the millennial reign of Christ is for a thousand years. He reigns on this earth, and we're going to rule and reign with him. Can you imagine the the thrill of ruling and reigning with Jesus in glorified bodies. I mean, bodies that are forever young and forever powerful and can do all such all wonderful things. 
and we'll be able to rule and reign with Jesus over earth that's inhabited by people in mortal bodies who live to be a thousand years old. The best of this earth is yet ahead of it. It's not behind it. And when Jesus rules for that thousand-year reign on this earth, not another one, we're going to rule and reign with him. Just imagine that. That's all because of the resurrection of Jesus. If he didn't conquer death, if he didn't rise from the grave, we wouldn't be able to enjoy that. But we're going to as saints of God. And then following that, there's still better coming. Because the Bible says the Lord's going to destroy this present earth and is going to destroy this, the present heaven and the earth and the heavens will flee away and there'll be no f- place found for them. And then he's going to make a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. And out of the third heaven where Jesus, where God dwells, he's going to bring down that new Jerusalem that has golden streets and gates of pearl and pearl and walls of jasper all that is going to bring it down and it'll sit upon this earth and it's almost 1500 miles cube the book of revelation tells us that high high wide long and it's a big city and it's going to sit on that earth that brand new what an earth that must be to have a city that big on it all that's coming for the child of god why because of the resurrection of jesus christ he's preparing that for us Because we don't deserve it, but he paid for our sins, and it was guaranteed when Christ rose from the grave. Is Easter Sunday important? Sure, it's important. I mean, without Easter Sunday and without what's significant about Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus, none of this would be true. Our Our faith would be vain, as 1 Corinthians 15 said. It would all be worthless if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees us the Savior wins, Satan loses, salvation is available to everyone right now, and the saints win, and we win for eternity. Jesus is alive. Have you put your faith and trust in him? He's alive. He's a winner. He's going to make sure that we go to heaven someday. He's going to make sure that we get to enjoy all those things in the future. But the question is, have you trusted him as your personal Savior? And let me remind you, the Savior wins, Satan loses. If you choose not to follow the Savior, whether you like it or not, you're going to follow the loser, the devil. Where does the devil end up? In the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Choose you this day whom you will serve. If you follow Jesus, it will turn out great. If you follow the devil, you will be separated from God for eternity in hell and then the lake of fire. Salvation is available today. But you know, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Have you wondered why God says today? And the answer is this, because for a lot of people, there will be no tomorrow. You have no guarantee that when you walk out of here that you'll say, well, I'll put it off to another day. There might not be another day. And we've had that proved many times in our life. We've seen that happen to people. Here today, gone tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. It's available because of the resurrection. But you must avail yourself of that. You must trust him as your Savior. And if you have trusted the Lord as your Savior, you're a child of God. The question remains, are you living for him? Is your life victorious? You see, there is no excuse for an unproductive life for the child of God. We have no excuse to look on a lack of victory over sin and say, oh, well, you know, it's just the way I am. I just have trouble with that. 
No, the Lord says you can have victory. You don't have to, be, have to sin. You don't have to be overcome. You see, the question is, are you going to serve the Savior who loved you and died for you? And he saved you. Are you going to live for him with victorious power? And the scripture makes it clear that we have the exceeding greatness of his resurrection power at our disposal. We can be what God wants us to be. The question is, are we going to be? Let's pray. Father, thank you today for reminding us of what the resurrection guarantees. It guarantees that the Savior wins. Satan loses. Salvation is available during this lifetime if we'll only accept it. And it guarantees that we as saints win. The saints are those who trusted Jesus as their Savior, and we win. And we have resurrection power. May we use that power, Lord, to be all that we can be for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.